Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today... And today we're going to discuss some of our favorite audiobook narrators. So I thought it would be a fun episode idea to pick some of our favorite audiobook narrators and pick a title that sort of is representative to us of the work that they do to recommend. But first, Anne, do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of audiobooks we like to listen to and maybe some of the some of the aspects of audiobook narrators that we look for? Um, so I think it's fair to say from the beginning that we both judge audiobooks right. for the Audis, and so this is something that we have to think about pretty carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that is someone who makes it sound effortless, mm-hmm. and I know that it's not because I've I've heard bad audiobook <laughs> narrators, so I know how much skill goes into it. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's someone who feels really engaging when... Um, especially if they're dealing with something that's kind of difficult to read, Mm -hmm. um, that they can make it feel like a story and it's not just someone reading out loud. So a good example to me, um, I'm not using her as, as one of my, um, my featured people, Mm -hmm. but we both read, um, uh, the turn of the screw that was narrated by Emma Thompson. And that's kind of a, a notoriously difficult read just because the language is so, uh arcane and and his sentence henry james's sentences are just kind of all run on sentences Mm -hmm. with tons of commas Mm -hmm. and that that book was so engaging and just so exciting and Mm -hmm. and it's a fabulous story but and the writing's beautiful but Mm -hmm. but it is kind of difficult to to read but Mm -hmm. to listen to it was just pure pleasure Mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely um, that's that's one thing I'm looking for. Um, the other thing is is I want someone that has the ability to vary their voice pretty mm-hmm. easily, and so mm-hmm. it makes you forget that it's the same person reading all these different characters, mm-hmm. um, and you know doesn't have anything that stands out as far as bad accents or right, right. those kinds of things, mispronunciations, so, that sort of yeah, thing. yeah, that's really distracting yeah. to me. How do you, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. So I will say, I generally, I'm not sure why, but I tend to like female narrators more than male narrators. And yeah. we'll listen to both, but um, I don't know. I always seem to like female narrators better. I think maybe because I sometimes find when male narrators try to do female voices, they come across as kind of shrill or, yeah. I don't know, like it's like fake, like the way they do female voices is fake whereas women doing men's voices often they just kind of do a lower um range or something and so it doesn't come across that that same way to me I don't know it's just a very personal thing I think other people are fine with it um and then it's funny because I also really like memoirs read by the author of you Mm -hmm. know whoever and so obviously they're not usually doing voices or anything like that but then it feels like it's somebody telling you their own story so right it's if it's good if it's fiction I want it to be a talented narrator of audiobooks but if it's um, non-fiction I'm actually fine if it's an amateur so to speak I mean sometimes it's an actor and obviously they're they're skilled at 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 any sort of like performance but um sometimes it's somebody a little bit more of a an amateur um and I'm, I'm fine with that too but yeah I like somebody who uh again like you said like makes it seem effortless and can slip into different accents and different voices and it's like 
I've often wondered, is that editing that they do that so seamlessly? But I don't yeah. think it is. I think it's there. That's a talent that they have of being able to just um, have all these different voices and stuff in their uh, repertoire um, that they yeah. do. In fact, so when I did the Audis this past year, my category was romance, which was such a fun category. <laughs> and um, I had never done it. It's surprising. I, that had never, I had never chosen that as one of my Audis categories before, but I did it this past year. And um, a couple of the audiobooks that I listened to had the same narrators and like in different, um, different ways. So it's like there would be often like a male narrator and a female narr narrator and they were di in different mm -hmm. iterations like in different books um, and they would have interviews with them at the end a couple of different books I listened to did that with the audiobook narrators and it was so fun to hear them like they would do little um, one of them at one point did different variations on the same sentence like saying it from oh, it was really so interesting, interesting. in fact there's there was also a podcast we'll have i'll have to find it you can put it in the show notes but with faith saley did mm -hmm. um a series on romance novels that was like a six episode or eight episode podcast series they did that she she did an episode with audiobook narrators and they did that like they read a chapter or something from a book because that was one of the things she practiced writing a romance novel. They read a chapter and it was funny to hear the different ways that they would say phrasing and stuff. I don't know. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It's, just, it's definitely a talent. I will say that. I saw, this is not at all related to our topic, but I saw um, special features on a movie once where Reese Witherspoon was doing that and mm -hmm. they, they showed the same scene or her delivering the same line, but doing it in different ways every time. And, and I never thought about that, that yeah. actors will, will experiment and, mm -hmm. you know, or the director will have them do it too of, of let's see how this works in this with this tone versus yeah, this tone and, and it's, ways. Yeah. yeah it's really it's I like so cool. I assumed all of that was decided beforehand and yeah no, you're just trying to get to it be, perfect yeah. it's interesting yeah. yeah I mean I think that everybody has their own preferences like there are certain audiobook narrators that I know people love that I think are fine but they're not my mm -hmm. favorite but then uh, somebody like Jim Dale who narrates the Harry Potter series that's one of my favorite and lots of people like that one yeah um so I think I Except for my niece. I have to Did throw that not? in. She's she said I guess the family was trying to listen to it on a road trip, mm -hmm. I think to come see me, and she made them turn it off because she said their their his voice doesn't sound the way I imagine them. And oh. she said it was ruining it for her. So I that, can't I remember. can see that actually if you have like an image in your head. Yeah, but yeah. it also is a road trip and so what does what, what does everyone do have to do? do? Oh gosh. <laughs> your family is kind that they stopped. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened with that. I'll have to ask my sister what, what the aftermath was. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. That's funny. Um, all right. Well, do you want to just get started with some of yeah. our favorites? Yeah. Yeah. First. Okay. Um, so the first person I'll talk about is Rosalind Lander, mm, and so she is a British actress. Um, she started in the 60s, I think, as actually a, a child actor. I don't know how old she would have been, like what her first role would have been, but she was fairly active as a as a um, film and TV actress until the 90s. And now she concentrates on audiobooks and does voice work. And she has this, she, uh, you know, a gorgeous British accent anyway, but she has this very like sonorous voice mm -hmm. and it's just very calming. And so she, she does Regal very, very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. she 
to me, although, is a, a good example of the right voice for the right book. Because mm-hmm. um, I listened to the book that I'll talk about, I listened to a few years ago, and it still stands out to me as, as just such a gorgeous uh, narration. But I recently listened to a romance where I, d- I didn't think that she fit with it because her voice is so regal that it made everything sound really melodramatic. Mm-hmm. So even though she's performing it really well, it's just that's the nature of her voice. She mm-hmm. can't get away from that. So so that didn't work for me personally, but it could for someone else. So it's it's just kind of personal preference on me. But but I uh, I was looking kind of into her uh, back catalog of books, and she just narrates all kinds of things. So she's she's really well respected. So the book I'll talk about is called The Mistress of the Art of Death by Ariana Franklin, and this is set in twelfth uh, century Cambridge, and it's a mystery, and. It starts where bodies of murdered children are being discovered, and the Jewish population of the town is blamed, and there's already all this tension between the Christians and the Jewish minority in town, and they, um, there are, you know, political and economic reasons for those tensions, um, and the Christians have decided that the Jews are sacrificing children as part of their worship services. And so they're using this as an excuse to stir up a mob against them. So the king at the time, Henry II, decides to put the Jews under his protection because they're uh, essential to his um, economic plans for the country. And so he asks his his cousin, who is the king of Sicily, um, for some help with this because that is... Uh, Sicily was known at the time for having these amazing medical experts. And so uh, Henry asks for a master of the art of death, which was an old timey name for a medical examiner. Mm -hmm. And so an Italian doctor arrives, but instead of being a master, it's a mistress of the art of death. And uh, the king of Sicily has sent a woman named Adelia Aguilar, and she's extremely respected at the University of Salerno. But in England, she has to, she has to pretend not to be a doctor because she'll uh, be accused of witchcraft. <laughs> so it shows how different Italy was as far as their view of women and their view of um, education than England at the time. So she travels with two companions, one is a Jew and one is a Moor, and it it sort of forms this trio of outcasts from society and they're all more educated and more capable than those who are discriminating against them. But because they're in England, they sort of have to take it. So Adelia investigates this murder and she realizes that the, or murders, I should say, and she realizes that they're by, they've been committed by someone who was with the king during the crusade um, that he went on a few years before. And she believes that it's a serial killer. And so she's um, being assisted locally by a magistrate named Sir Rowley Picot. And they sort of have this antagonistic relationship at first, and she doesn't trust him. Um, she thinks he might be involved with the murder somehow, but it uh, his involvement helps her to get into areas that wouldn't normally be welcoming for a woman. So because she has that in, the author is able to show all these different aspects of medieval life in Cambridge at the time um, and at, at all levels. So you have the king at the top and then the lowest peasants, and she writes just so beautifully and has all this detail um, about the the way the people lived, and that's what I really love in historical fiction. And I kind of um, have gotten away from, from historical fiction a little bit because so often it's it's sort of used as a way to um, 
show off historical research mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can get very annoyed by that. But this um, makes it show people as real and they're not just cutouts of, of the peer of the time period and they're nuanced and they feel like real people. And, and it's just a, a really fantastic mystery. So the narration is very uh, varied. It, you, you really know which characters are talking, but it always has this sort of calming and authoritative tone to it because that's just how Rosalind Lander's voice is. And mm-hmm. so she's perfect for Adelia because the she's she's playing this voice of reason among these competing factions of town and fighting for science and knowledge versus superstition and hatred. And so it, it really, really works with that character and with the the overall tone of the book. So she is fantastic. And that is The Mistress of the Art of Death by Ariana Franklin. Yeah, she is amazing. She's one of my favorites, too. I'm glad you're talking. You talked about her. Yeah. So my first one is January Lavoie. And <laughs> she is truly one of my favorites she is so great i don't know really how to describe her voice because she does so many different voices she is the most chameleon-esque yes of, every, of any narrator yeah. that i know and that i feel like because i've listened to different books by her and i always know it's her but she is able to do i mean that's one of the reasons that the book i'm going to talk about that's one of the reasons i think she's it's such an amazing book and it's such a good audiobook is because she does so many different voices that are distinct and recognizable as the character that there's no confusing is this this person talking or that person talking yeah and you just know absolutely who's talking so I um yeah I don't know I she's just extremely extremely talented at portraying whatever needs to be portrayed for the book I guess is how I would put it because uh whatever whatever voice so to speak she's putting on is believable so yeah um, yeah, so the boy, the book I'm going to talk about is, is The Diviners by Lilla Bray, <laughs> which I almost didn't do because I have talked about it before. But for me, like, this is such a great example of of what January Lavoie does so well. So I was like, ah, I'm just going to talk oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, it's iconic. Um, like, yeah, it's, it's always so talked good. about as one of the best. Yeah. People always say, oh, it's I love that series. Have you listened to it on audio? Yeah, because and it's a it's a big cast of characters. So and the books are very very long. So you're mm-hmm. spending hours listening. Uh, so it's important that it has a good narrator because otherwise you would never want to spend. I mean, the most recent book I think was like 22 hours that I wow. listened to. It was long. So, but she's just amazing. Like there's just they're so good. So it's a four book series. The, the Diviners is the first book in the series, and it's about a young woman named Evie O'Neill who is from a small town in Ohio, and she's kind of she's like 18 years old maybe, and she's she wants to have fun and. Um, She's at a party one night and she embarrasses her family because she starts telling secrets about people from the town. And so her her parents send her off to go to New York City to live with her uncle, and which they're thinking of as a punishment. And Evie's super excited because she's like, ah, New York City, this is amazing. <laughs> like, it's the, it's the 1920s. And so you're thinking like flappers and moonshine and like all this stuff. So she's all excited to go. Um, and her uncle, Will, is the curator of the Museum of American Folklore, Superstition, and the Occult. And Evie, uh, there's not a whole lot going on at the museum. So even though she's supposed to be helping him, she's like, this is my opportunity to, to go hang out with like fancy, fun people. Somebody asks her uncle for help because there is 
uh, series of murders happening. At first, actually, I'm trying to remember. I read this a long time ago, but I'm maybe it's just one murder at first that they ask they ask him to help with. But they have a feeling that something kind of strange is happening um, with with the murder, and so they ask him because he has this museum um of the, aren't there like carvings on the yeah the i was gonna say is that what something? it is it's I something think that so. they think there's like something to do with like folklore or something you yeah. know like there it's like a symbol that's yeah. the word i was looking for it's late i'm sorry it's late for me um <laughs> anyway so um so yeah so well and and so the the re the way evie knew all those secrets about people back in at the party in ohio is she has this secret ability that if she holds a belonging of somebody she can learn things about their thoughts and feelings so she has this sort of um, supernatural ability that helps her if you're searching for a serial killer um, who potentially has ties to the supernatural so she um, so she gets involved there's somebody who works for her uncle who's also helping out who maybe has his own secrets and it's just such a good series it's like as as I said at first it's a pretty large cast of characters they're not all introduced in the very first book although most of them are but there more people are added as the series go goes on and one thing I liked about it is the series the characters change throughout the series so you see their relationships kind of evolve so stuff that happens in the first book like has an impact on what happens throughout the rest of the series but it's not stagnant it's not like the relationships all stay the same or there's some romances that happen and and those kind of shift and and who you who you think should end up with somebody changes throughout the the book and also I think there are some surprises about um you know that bad stuff is going on there are some murders happening there are people in power that are trying to keep power and so bad things happen and the characters even though they're beloved characters in the book aren't necessarily immune to that so it's just such a great series um and the ending i have to say because the most recent book came out not too long ago the ending is is very well done it's it, sometimes books like series like this that have there have been gaps in between publication of each of them it can feel kind of like a letdown when you finally get to the end oh but for sure i thought that it, it definitely ended really well and I I honestly can say I cannot imagine having read these books because I listened to all four of them and so much of my experience with the books has had to do with listening to the audio and the way it was delivered and that's all because of January Lavoie so um, that is The Diviners by Libba Bray oh one of my favorite books so good of all time I've read and listened to The Diviners Mm -hmm. and they're both they're both so much fun like you're you can't go wrong with it, mm-hmm. which is, is not true of a lot of narration. So Yeah, that's true. And one thing I think part of the reason why I loved it so much, there's a lot of 20 slang, like sort yeah. of little funny sayings and stuff that the way hearing somebody say it is just different than if I had read it in my head. Yeah. So that's part of, I think, why it's great. It just puts yeah. you so much in that time and place. And it's, I just love it. All right. What's up for you next? Um, so next is Juliet Stevenson, who um, I think is one of those actresses who you recognize, but she's never the lead in something. Right. So you've seen her in a billion things. You will recognize her when you look her up, mm-hmm. but she is not generally the lead. So the the thing that I, see, I think of her um, primarily with is uh, the 1995 Emma. She plays yes. Mrs. Elton. Yes. Um, to me, that's just she's the the ultimate Mrs. Elton. So mm-hmm. um, she has this 
pretty distinctive voice, I would say, but it's gorgeous and kind of delicate, but also very lively. So mm-hmm. she can go from serious to humorous really, really quickly. And um, I always kind of think of her as sounding like a village busybody because that's the Mrs. Elton voice. Right. <laughs> but then like the book I'll talk about right now, she's not doing that at all. And it's just this gorgeous, gorgeous narration. So um, so she's, she's just really talented that she, she can cover such a, a wide range. Uh, Juliet Stevenson is also a great example of how being an actor, like a film actor, isn't a guarantee of a good audiobook narrator. Mm. Um, you think that they would be, because mm-hmm. they should have the skills. But um, I've listened to many audiobooks that are read by a famous actor, and you're you're all excited because you love them as an actor, and then it doesn't play out at all. And so um, it really indicates that it's a it's a separate skill set, I think, than just acting. So. Mm. Um, she makes it sound really effortless, but it, it definitely isn't. So um, the book I'll talk about is The Little Red Chairs by Edna O'Brien. And I will say up front, I didn't like this book. <laughs> so um, it does that thing where there is a main character who goes on a journey and meets people and uh, they all tell the the main character their experience. And I'm just not a fan of that. I think it's lazy writing personally, um, but the or, or lazy uh uh, narrative structure. Mm-hmm. But um, Edna O'Brien is a gorgeous writer. So if you're into writing and like the craft of writing, this is a perfectly great book for you. Um, she can definitely craft a sentence that just blows your mind. But I I just, that's not my pull on, mm-hmm. on most books. So it, mm-hmm. does, it didn't do as much for me. But I can talk about books I don't like and right. still recommend them. <laughs> so um, so this one is um, about a man named Vlad who arrives in a tiny Irish village and he's from Eastern Europe and he integrates into the community and he becomes involved with a local woman named Videlma and they start a relationship together and she becomes pregnant. And um, when she realizes she's pregnant, Vlad is arrested and it's revealed that he used to be a war or he is a war criminal. Um, I think from the Bosnian War, I can't, it's been several years since I listened to this, and so I can't remember if that's specifically the war, but, um, you know, like, late 90s uh, strife in Europe. So Fidelma is cast out of the community and she endures these really horrifying experiences and she has nowhere to go. So she ends up um, traveling to England and meets up with other women who are refugees who are, are looking for sanctuary there. And she learns their stories of surviving these these terrible traumas um, that they've escaped. So um, as the story goes on, um, Fidelma is able to confront Vlad again as he's tried for his crimes at the Hague and she has to come to terms with being so wrong about someone that she loved and the ways that he ruined her life um, and took advantage of her um, while also coming out stronger um, for having been through it. it. For other people, this this may be a book for them. It was not a book for me. Um, I will say it deals very, very, very frankly with war crimes mm-hmm. and there are things I can never unhear that mm-hmm. I, I learned about from this book that mm-hmm. um, still really, really upset me. Um, but I think that for me, this this really was a testament to Juliet Stevenson's skill as a narrator because I've never forgotten the audiobook. And so even a book that I, if I had read it in print, I, I couldn't I, I, there's no way I would have finished it if I hadn't um, had to listen to it for a um, for the audio committee. But I was just so enamored with the narration while also not enjoying the book that it, it really showed me how a narrator can make or break 
that experience for you. So, um, yeah, I've listened to her on other things too. I almost talked about another book. Um, I'm listening to Belgravia right now by oh, Julian yeah, Fellows. Fellows. Yeah, it's really fun. And she narrates that, but I kind of felt like it was too similar to all my other books yeah. I'm talking about. So, um, so I wanted to do something else. So, um, so hopefully there's a listener out there that this sounds perfect for them and they can they can pick it up. And that is uh, Juliet Stevenson with uh, The Little Red Chairs by Edna O'Brien. Yeah, I gave up on that book. I yeah, I think we were on the same, yeah, committee, same that committee that year. That year yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And that was one thing I did want to say at the beginning that I'm just remembering now um, what you said about listening to the whole thing that made me think that um, I have a I will stick with an audiobook much longer usually than I would stick with a book that's not holding my attention. Yeah. Or I, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it because I actually feel like I just have a lower entertainment threshold with audiobooks. Like <laughs> I'm easily entertained by things that I don't know that I would ever pick up to read. But oh, because, for sure. Because I'm listening when it's not reading time. It's not, it's time I'm doing other things. So either yeah. I'm walking the dogs or I'm getting ready in the morning or I'm, uh, making dinner at night or something like that. I'm listening to the audiobook. It's like and it's a bonus. I wouldn't be list- I wouldn't be doing anything else with my time other than walking the dog or whatever. Yeah. So so I it doesn't like I listen to all the Janet Ivanovich books uh, on <laughs> audio, which I would never anymore pick up one of those books just because they're I don't know, they're just not really my my thing. But like yeah. they're fun. Well there's so many audio. of them too. There's so, so many of them. It's they're just such a commitment. The same. Like yeah. nothing ever like I was saying about the diviners books that the characters evolve. They don't evolve in the Janet Ivanovich books, but um <laughs> but they're fun audiobooks. And so uh yeah, I don't know what made me just think about that. But that is something I was thinking about earlier today. Yeah. I'm that's willing, a good point. I'm willing to listen to things on audio that I don't know that I would ever pick up and read, but all right, so my next narrator is Bonnie Turpin. and um, The great Bonnie Turpin. She is so wonderful. And she has just such a lovely kind of melodic voice to me, I feel like. She has a very um, uh, pleasant voice is is the, the way I think of her. Everything that she, um, she narrates is just easy to listen to. It's just sort of like you just feel like you're taken along to listen to the story. Mm-hmm. And um, she just has this really lovely way of delivery. And she's very prolific. I think that... Um, oh, yeah. I, I'm going to actually... So what I'm what I'm reading this week is going to be an audiobook that Bonnie Turpin is one of the narrators. And then this book I'm going to talk about specifically. But I, she she narrates a lot of different audiobooks. So if, if you're listening and you're here, curious to listen to something um, that she narrates, there you're sure to find something that's up your alley because she, she narrates quite a a few um, audiobooks and um, what I was I was going to talk about today is The Hate You Give by Angie yes. Thomas which I am just now realizing I'm doing two teen books in a row which is not <laughs> it's not the only things I listen to are teen books but they're both so good they're so different like I don't feel I think this is okay yeah um, so most of you might be familiar with the plot of The Hate You Give it was um, a movie a couple of years ago and it came out as a book maybe in I don't know how long ago 2015 maybe um, maybe I'm not sure. I don't know how. I I don't know. I think we were still recording when it came out. Yeah, I feel like I actually talked about it on the yeah. podcast. So anyway, easy to look up after the fact. But, um, but so not by us. No. So um, it's about a young girl or a young woman. She's a teenager named Star Carter. And she lives in a city um, 
in in a kind of a poor neighborhood, um, primarily black neighborhood, also attends a school and that's an elite kind of fancy-ish private high school, which is a primarily white school. So she's sort of torn between these two worlds of where she lives and then where she goes to school. She sort of has two identities a little bit. Like she feels like she is one version of star at school and one version of star at home. And one night she is at a party uh, in her neighborhood with a childhood friend of hers. And on they leave the party um, and on the way home, there's, if I'm remembering correctly, somebody has a gun or something at the party. Do you remember? Yeah, I think so. And so they leave and she and her friend are just kind of like having a good time, joking around and they're in the car on the way home and um, they get pulled over by a white policeman and he ends up shooting her friend and killing her friend. And so the story follows Star as she deals with this and like there's a there this is um was considered like the first Black Lives Matter book. Um, and so there are a lot of protests and reactions to the fact that this happened. And Star is, as I said, is sort of in the middle of these two different worlds. And so the, the, the way people are reacting at her neighborhood where she lives is different from how people are reacting in her at her school. And so how she is is kind of conflicted between those two things, how she tries to be to figure out her own like how she she feels about the whole situation versus how like the rest of her family feels or how her friends feel like she tries to she's trying to figure out how she feels um at the same time there's a little bit of pressure on her to speak up because she was there and she was a witness and so um lots of stuff for a teenager to have to deal with but it's just a great great book it is um again it's a teen book but I think it has lots of appeal to adults as well I don't think it's just mainly because it's about a teenage character that it's a teen book more than subject matter because it's a very serious subject matter. Um, but it's, it's wonderful. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how the movie compares. Um, but the book is really good. The audiobook is fantastic. And it is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to, I yeah, think. That so. that was the one of my years of, of uh, an Audi judge yeah, um, yeah. that one for my category and it yeah. was just I think I had actually read the print book earlier that year mm-hmm. and then ha- very happily listened to the, yeah, the audiobook it was same. just so good yeah same with me so all right what's your last one um, so we're going to keep with the theme of teen books <laughs> so <Yay. laughs> also my what I'm reading this week is teen as well so okay. we're just doing lots of teen this week Oh, so my last narrator is Catherine Kelgren, and oh, yay. yay! Um, so she is American, but she was educated in London, so she can switch back and forth between accents really well, and she does a fabulous British accent. Um, so you would never know that she's American listening to her British accent. Um, unfortunately, she died recently from cancer and she was only 48 years old. Um, when I listened to the book I'll talk about, um, uh, I looked her up because it was such a, like, it was an astounding audiobook. I don't know that I've ever called a, an audiobook astounding before I read mm-hmm. this, but that's the only way to describe it to me. Um, and I looked her up and I and she had just passed away right before that and I was just so heartbroken because I could recognize how like what a rare talent she had had and um I was so excited to keep going in the series with her because she she just was so good and so to sort of have that um 
taken away was was really really upsetting and and just just such a loss for for readers everywhere um part of what makes this so great is that she just lays into the narration on on this book mm-hmm. and um it really elevates it and it's my lady jane by cynthia hand brody ashton and jody meadows and i know this is a, Hall- a favorite of hallie's it as well is, it is. It's so-, <laughs> so like i said this is a ya book and it's about um lady jane gray who is a real historical figure um and this is kind of a bizarre take on her story um it starts out almost like the real thing but then it just goes in all kinds of wackadoodle directions after that so um the real story is that lady jane gray was chosen to be the successor to edward the sixth um this is during tudor england um basically to keep his sister mary from becoming queen because uh she was catholic and the country had been uh, converted to um, Protestantism under Henry VIII. So Jane was strategically married off to a man named Guildford Dudley, who is the son of Edward's chief minister. And both sets of parents, uh, Jane's and Guildford's, were um, conspiring basically to get her on the throne and, and to make this sort of consolidated power front. So Edward um, was the son of Henry VIII, like I said, he was very sickly and he died at 16. And so Jane is queen for nine days before an army raised by Mary deposes her. And she was sent to the Tower of London and she and Guilford were executed along with all the conspirators. And it's really sad because they were just pawns in the entire thing and really had nothing to do with any of it. Uh, But this book is not a sad book. So in this version of English history, some people are Ethians and those are humans that can turn into animals. And Henry VIII was one and normalized it. Um, so I think it's been a while since I listened to this, but I think they were sort of outcasts before he was revealed to be one. So um, this uh, is standing in for the conflict of uh, Catholics versus Protestants. And it's kind of a fun take on that, um, a little less serious than the real thing. Um, so Guilford is is uh, unfortunately a horse by day and turns into a teenage boy at night. And that makes for a very difficult relationship with Jane, who he's been uh, betrothed to. And they, they sort of have this difficult uh uh, relationship that they they can't quite get on the same page with. Um, but they realize that Edward's life is at stake from other conspiracies that are going on within the court. And so the uh, story takes off into all this palace intrigue and they're changing alliances. And because they have to work together, then Guilford and Jane draw closer together and, and start to fall in love. And so this would be a very delightful story anyway. But then... Um, it has all these pop culture references and there are people shifting um, from animal to human all over the place and people uh, coming out as an animal that they sort of hid before that. And there are all kinds of actually laugh out loud funny parts. And I kind of feel like the authors sort of decided that they could do whatever they want because what are rules in this in this world? It doesn't matter. So I think I was reading up um, to remember some stuff, and I think there's a part where they they quote Shakespeare, and they even call out that Shakespeare wasn't alive yet. Yeah. But but they're like, but who cares? Because who's to say he couldn't have had some uh, time traveling like craziness? Like it's just so goofy. So. Um, 
So it's already just such a fun book, but then Catherine Kellgren is just having an absolute ball with it, and she she just really runs with the spirit of the book and makes it even better. So she um like I I just remember listening in the car to this and laughing out loud, which I never do when I'm driving. Um, I might smile, but actually laughing out loud by how much she was having a, a good time reading this book. So it's it just is amazing. Um, I I was reading some reviews on Goodreads um, while I was putting together my notes, and and so many of them are urging people to listen to the audiobook because it's it's such a standout narration. Um, and you'll see that where people say, I really enjoyed the audiobook. This is, you should give it a try, but you don't ne- necessarily see it universally recommended mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you do on this one. So um, I don't know if the print book offers anything like little notes or something that could elevate the print to, or to make you want to read it. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no way, uh, there's no other way to, to take this book in other than mm-hmm. through Catherine Kellgren. So that is My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows wholeheartedly support that one that's another one like I said about the diviners like reading that I feel like would be fun but listening would just takes it to a whole yeah other level like I just it's so good she is amazing um such a loss that she yeah had. and I've listened to a lot from Catherine Calgren and she's fantastic and yeah it's sad that she passed away much too young but that book is is just such a fun listen such yeah a fun listen. and i think even at the beginning the authors apologize for what they're about to do to history <laughs> or something like that i think you're right <laughs> that's so great oh goodness all right so my last one um my last narr- narrator is rebecca Lohman, and she is one i feel like who's maybe a little bit not quite as well known as some of the other people we've spoken about today. I don't think she's narrated quite as many books, although she has written, or she's not written, she hasn't written any books as far as I know. Um, She has narrated quite a few books, just not, I mean, a lot of these narrators have done like hundreds and hundreds of books. I don't think she's quite there yet. But so she has kind of an, an interesting delivery because she tends to be a very calm, almost not monotone, but not quite the variety in in voices that other people do but yet somehow that's that really works for me and I'm not sure it's just she has a very again like a very calm kind of way of of telling the story and it really it's it's interesting because I've listened to a thriller that she narrated and then the book that I'm going to talk about today which is historical fiction and you wouldn't think that the same narrator would with a very similar kind of delivery would work for both of those, but she does. And especially the thriller I found interesting because there's a lot of tension in the story, but the way she tells it, it just drew, drew me in. And it was like, it it sort of balanced the crazy stuff that was happening in the story and her very calm kind of laconic delivery. So I don't know. And I don't mean to say it like it's, it's, it's a very um, soothing kind of tone is I guess where I'm going with it. Yeah. Like the calmness is soothing. Um, so the book that I'm going to talk about today is Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, which is one of my favorite <laughs> books, and I haven't talked about it in like five years, so I'm glad to talk about yeah, it Yeah, we're, we're due for it. I know. So, and, and again, I was going to talk about a different book that she narrated um, that I really like called Sisterland by Curtis Sittenfeld, um, but I was like, but Rules of Civility is my favorite. <laughs> Uh, there was a there there have been times where 
I will pick an audiobook just by searching a narrator that I like and thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll listen to that. And so yeah. I've listened to a lot from from Rebecca Lohman, but I don't know why. It's just like I have to talk about rules of civility. <laughs> just because it so perfectly fits her tone and yeah. the delivery of the story that she's telling because um, – so I'll tell you a little bit about the book and I'll explain why I think her her delivery really works for it. So it's the end of 1938. It's New Year's Eve. And the main character, Katie Content, and her friend decide to go out for the evening. They're going to go out in the town. They're both, um, I think they're like in a secretarial pool or something. They're sort of like uh, of the working, of the common man, like working class <laughs> kind of people. And they decide they're going to go out in New York and live it up on New Year's Eve. And they're at a jazz club, and they meet a man named Tinker Gray. And he is very wealthy and handsome and um, charming. And he pulls them into his this world of his of high society. And they, they get to know him, and it becomes apparent that um, he's maybe a little bit more adrift than he originally seemed. Like, he doesn't quite have things together um, the way that they thought he did. He... Uh, he and her friend Eve develop like a romantic relationship and it's the book though is really all about Katie and her observations of the wealthy and New York society and just her she has a lot of ambition and um, so she makes some of these connections with these people that Tinker introduces her to and it helps her move up in her career she becomes uh, she starts working at Condé Nast I think as like an editorial assistant or something like that and um and so it's really about it, it, it she has this very kind of insightful astute way of looking at the people and situations that are that she's in or that the people that are surrounding her and so um so this the Rebecca Lohman delivery fits that very well because it feels like a little bit like slightly removed from the central kind of drama and I, I don't know how to say like if you've read the book I hope that maybe you understand what I mean and that Katie's almost like an observer of what's going on and so the narration of the audiobook works for that because it feels like um she's just relaying kind of these different things that are happening it's not a highly dramatic story so it works to have a narrator that is telling the story from kind of an outside perspective because Katie is an outsider to like all of this high society wealth in New York so it just fits so well and the book has is such a, a good his, like it does what good historical fiction does which it just puts you in a time and a place and makes you feel like you're there and that you can smell the smells and hear the sounds and all that stuff and um, it's got a bit of a melancholy quality to it that that I really like sort of that bittersweet quality that um, that I think is just like I even though I'm all about the happily ever afters and romance I actually really love um, like a bittersweet melancholy story which I think we talked about for our uh, Valentine's Day episode when we did our love stories but um, yeah, this yeah. definitely has a bit of a of that that aspect to it like not everything not everybody's lives turn out happily. Like, not everything always ends well for everybody. And so even though things end in a satisfying way, it's not necessarily, like, happily ever after for everybody. So um, the combination of the narrator and that story just works really, really well for me. It's Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, and Rebecca Lohman is the narrator. Very, very nice. I think we need to have another uh, reading our 
TBRs episode where okay. we assign each other, and then you can assign that to me because I keep wanting to read it and I keep not reading it. Well, now I don't know. Maybe I don't want you to read it because what if you don't like it? You know I will. <laughs> yes. We should do that, though. That would be a fun episode. I liked that when we've done Except that Except then I can't talk. We have our two-year moratorium on talking about books. So I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're right. Ugh. Uh, we're ruined. Oh, goodness. What are we going to do? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll think about that. We'll be right back with what we're reading this week. <laughs> All right, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, so I actually just listened to a different book in this series, but I'm starting with the first book. Okay. So um, we'll allow it. Full disclosure. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Ooh. And it's about a human girl named Jude who was raised in the High Court of Fairy since the age of seven. And her parents are murdered by, uh, her human parents are married by, married, murdered by a fairy courtier slash general named Maddox, who was actually the mom's ex-husband. <laughs> it's kind of convoluted. Um, I think the mom had run away to fairy at some point and, and so, and married this, this fairy. And so he ends up taking her and her twin sister and their older half sister who is his actually his daughter and she's half fairy and and so he raises them and so jude is always aware that her new father is also the murderer of her parents which is a really pretty messed up uh way to live so now she's 17 and she loves and hates everything about the world of fairy Um, she can see everything that's amazing and wonderful about it but she also sees all its flaws and that it's really cruel and treacherous and uh, hard to navigate and she just wants to belong to it she she wants to get past the terrible things and, and only enjoy the good things and her dream is to become a knight and um, she's always had this dream she's never really dreamed of the sort of fairy tale ending that her sisters have dreamed of but she's always been an outcast in the society because humans are despised and they're often used and tricked into humiliating her- themselves and into doing things that are uh, harmful to them. So she has to have all these protections to keep from being charmed and, and to um, stay safe in these d- dangerous situations that the fairies uh, contrive for her. So she is going to school with the sons and daughters of the fairy nobility and she loathes them for how they treat her and her sister uh, Taryn, uh, especially um, one man or one uh, teenage boy named uh, Prince Cardin, and he's the son of the king, and he's known for for being completely out of control and debauched in an already debauched family, and he takes special delight in antagonizing Jude and Taryn, and so Jude is finally fed up, and she starts to fight back, and um, this ends up getting the attention of other members of the royal family. So she is a prince. She's approached. She is approached by Prince Dane, who is Cardin's older brother, and he's considered to be the likely heir to the, th- the throne. It's it's not like a guaranteed succession, um, and so he's in a position that can really benefit her. And so he asks her to be a spy for him, and she joins what is called the Court of Shadows. And so that turns into all kinds of double crossing and court intrigue and all the political machinations you can imagine and there are some really insane twists in the story and and things that actually really really surprised me which i don't often um 
feel surprised in books anymore. So um, it, it sort of does all the things that you want a really great ride uh, in a book to do. And um, so that's really fun to, to read. Actually, I listened to this this too, now that I think about it, and it had a really great narration, but I don't remember who the narrator was. Um, so Jude herself is just this really interesting character because she's super flawed and she's really pretty screwed up inside. Um, and you read strong female characters all the time and that's sort of like a trope at this point mm-hmm. of, of the strong female character and so this is sort of an interesting take on it because she has all the outward trappings of one but she's motivated by entirely different reasons and she knows that she's at a dis- disadvantage from all these other mystical characters and so she has to lie and trick and and um do terrible things to get what she wants uh, even though she knows that what she wants is the same thing that's ruining her life so it's this weird like self-perpetuating cycle that Mm -hmm. that's just very damaging but also she can't get out of it so um all three books have now been released i think the last one just came out and so i just listened to the second one um it's not usually my thing i'm not usually into dark fantasy but this is a really tight trilogy and it's very compelling um so i'm all for it and that is the cruel prince by holly black the narrator is caitlin kelly oh good yeah she's really good all right, so what I'm listening to this week, because I'm sticking with the audiobook theme, is <laughs> The Book of Lost Friends by Lisa Wingate. And as I mentioned, Bonnie Turpin is one of the narrators. There are multiple narrators for it. Um, and it is historical fiction. It's two timelines. One is set in 1987 and is about a woman named Benny Silva, Silva, excuse me, who arrives in a small town in Louisiana to teach English to high schoolers. She is... Um, in what I'm interpreting as kind of like a Teach for America situation where if she spends a certain amount of time teaching um, in in a, uh, you know what Teach for America is, they go to like urban areas or more rural places and teach for a couple of years and then um, they get teaching experience and training and all that stuff. It seems like it's maybe something like that. Um, and then she's going to get her student loans paid off after a certain amount of time of like public public service and the students at this school are not at all interested in learning what she has to teach them um and the the classroom doesn't have enough copies of books though the book that they have is i want to say animal farm or something by george orwell they're all falling copies are falling apart they don't have enough for each student um and so she is trying to get them engaged um in anything, you know, in learning. And she decides to research the history of this local family that has a lot of um, ties to the community in both good and bad ways. They're named the Gossett family. And uh, she brings in somebody who, uh, from the community to tell part of the story and it seems to spark the interest of the students and they start saying oh well, I, I know this person I could ask them about what's happened in the past and I can research this and that um, and then the other storyline is set in 1875 and it is about Hanny Gossett who is a sharecropper she is a teenager and she was separated from her family when she was a child um, and it was they were each um, sold basically and she is now trying to find them um, so she goes on a journey with um another woman who's the um the daughter of the like plantation owner is that what you would call it when you're a sharecropper like whoever's owning whoever owns the farm where hanny is a sharecropper anyway um and so so they're traveling to try to find hanny's family um and the reference in the title to lost friends is about 
um, requests that are in the newspaper that people would put to try to find family members who had been torn apart during slavery. And um, these these bits of information from these newspapers are sprinkled throughout the book, like in between each chapter. So you you read a chapter, and, or I'm listening, so I listen to a chapter, and there will be a, the lost friends section where they'll there will be somebody saying, you know, I'm looking for my nephew, I'm looking for my brother, and describe the last time they saw them and what they were wearing and different things like that. Um, so that is uh, The Book of Lost Friends by Lisa Wingate. I will say, or Win Wingate, um, I have some reservations that Lisa Wingate is the best person to tell the story of a sharecropper mm. from 1875. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm only about halfway through the book, so I'm sticking with it to the end. But I did have to put that out there that I'm not sure that I'm just, I have some reservations. <laughs> I feel like maybe there are people who could have told the story of um, a former slave and sharecropper in, um, I don't know. I just feel like maybe there are better people for that. So, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I, I didn't know anything about what it was about. I just was scrolling through Libby one day and I was like, oh, Lisa Wingett, she wrote that before before we were yours, I think it was called or something yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago, I, which I never read, but I know it was very popular. So I was like, I'll try it. Yeah. And then I started listening and I was like, huh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But, um, <laughs> I, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. But I just, um, Bonnie Turpin is getting me through the because she, she's the Hanny chapters. She's the narrator. Oh, uh, okay. So and it's an interesting story. And my guess is it's based in reality. You know, I'm guessing there's a lot of historical fact to it so it's nothing against that but I just wanted to put it out there that I'm not that I I'm aware of the fact that maybe a, a white woman writing the story of a black uh, sharecropper is not the most authentic story to be told yeah but um so yeah okay well why don't we go back and say all the books we talked about today okay um I talked about uh I, I mean mm. this is hard to do it's so, hard to do yeah so yeah, say narrator so. I guess yeah. like the narrator in the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I talked about Rosalind Lander uh, and uh, her narration of The Mistress of the Art of Death by Ariana uh, Franklin. Juliet Stevenson, who read uh, Little Red Chairs by Edna O'Brien. And Catherine Kellgren um, and her narration of My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. And what I'm reading this week is The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. All right, and I talked about January January Lavoie, who is the narrator for the Diviners series by Libba Bray, Bonnie Turpin, who narrated The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, Rebecca Lohman, who is the narrator for Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, and what I was listening to this week is The Book of Lost Friends by Lisa Wingett, um, also narrated by Bonnie Turpin. And um, that's it for us today. If you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcaster provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. And then maybe, and maybe you can link to narrator information too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'll figure it out. Okay, on Libro FM maybe or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I like that site a lot. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you all for listening. We hope you're well. We hope you're safe and happy reading. Bye.